Well, good morning. Are you glad you have been changed? If you are, raise both hands to the Lord. Give Him praise. It's wonderful how the Lord changes people's lives. People who have mocked Him, spit on Him, slapped Him, pulled His beard out. But yet when they really met Jesus, their life was changed. Changed forevermore. We're glad that you're here today. We just thank God for the privilege to be in His house today. I realize the weather is bad, but God is still God. He hasn't changed a bit, and He's right here with us this morning. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 26, and we'll read verses 57 through 68. We're continuing on in our, our uh, messages concerning how the Lord builds His church upon the rock. Of course, that rock is Jesus, and that's why the messages are all about Jesus. That's, uh, that's who we're talking about today. Would you stand with us out of reverence to the Word of God? Matthew chapter 26 and verse 57 says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led Him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled, but Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. What think you? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Pray with me, please. Fathers, we stand in your presence this morning and in the presence of these precious people. We come to give you praise, to give you glory, give you honor and adoration that you and you alone are God. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you that he suffered and bled and died in our place upon the cross of Calvary. And Lord, as we attempt to preach your word this morning, I pray that, Lord, your Holy Spirit will just bring it to life. And help us, Lord, each one to be seated at the foot of the cross. And to be looking at what our Savior went through before he was even nailed to the cross how he was falsely accused and how he was falsely arrested and all of those charges brought against him were untrue. 
But yet, Lord, he took our place. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. He was willing to die for us. And thank God when we trust him as Lord and Savior, he changes our lives. Father, we pray today, may the Holy Spirit of God just move in the hearts and lives of every person who is here. May you be glorified. May you be magnified. May souls be saved into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And be seated, please. The scripture closely follows on the heels of what we had preached last Sunday morning about Jesus being there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the soldiers and the religious folks coming to arrest him. They accused him of some things there in the garden. We're going to talk about what happens when he's been arrested. It says, And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Caiaphas had gathered a bunch of the members of the Sanhedrin court in his house. First of all, we're seeing some unlawful meetings here. It was unlawful for the Sanhedrin court to meet at night. It was unlawful for them to meet anywhere other than in their chosen place. But here they are at Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas is the high priest that year. John tells us that they first led him away to Annas, who was the father-in-law of, the, of Caiaphas, the high priest. So uh, this high priest job switched around in certain families, like a lot of our political stuff does today. Annas was the father-in-law, Caiaphas was the son-in-law, but they were all in the same family. And Annas had been the high priest the year before. Now he had gone to Caiaphas. And now they come and they bring Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest. The Sanhedrin is, is there. It, that's what it calls the scribes and the elders where they were assembled. The Sanhedrin court was made up of 71 people. It took a, a number of 23 for them to be able to make a decision on things. That was their quorum. So evidently there was at least 23 of them that were there that night. I, I think that we know of two members of the Sanhedrin court that probably were not there. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, but he had come to trust Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Joseph of Arimathea was another of the uh, members of the Sanhedrin that had come to trust Jesus. It was very unlikely that they had been invited or that they had been informed of what was taking place here. But Peter followed him afar off into the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter had said, I'll never deny you. I'll never forsake you and those kind of things. He had made his boast. And we're not going to talk much about Peter this morning because, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll talk about Peter because the subject goes back to Peter. So just, just kind of make a note on verse 58 that we'll pick up there next week. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought witnesses. But notice the kind of witnesses they were seeking. They were not seeking someone who would be a true witness. They were seeking false witnesses against Jesus. 
Why? To put him to death. They had already determined in their hearts that they were going to have Jesus killed. And they're seeking false witnesses. Now in the scriptures as well as in Roman law, it would take two witnesses that had not talked about the situation, but both witnesses could bear the truth to the same thing. But I find it odd that they're seeking false witnesses. I ask myself the question, why didn't they go out and find the blind man that Jesus had touched his eyes and he had healed him? Why didn't they go and get Lazarus who he had raised from the dead? Why didn't they go and get uh, the, the woman whose son was raised from the dead and given back to her? Why didn't they get people like that to be a witness? Because they didn't want people like that being a witness. They were stacking the court. They were making sure that they were going to get the verdict that they wanted. Not a true verdict, but the verdict they wanted. Isn't it amazing how mankind is still doing the same thing today? We don't really want the truth but we want it shaded to fit us. The chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus. Why? To put him to death. But notice verse 60, but found none. They'd bring in these witnesses, but they couldn't agree on it. They couldn't agree. One would say this, another would say that. They found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came. Oh, they got people to come. They got people to tell what they wanted to say. But none of them agreed. So they couldn't use them. At the last, it says in verse 60, at the last, two false witnesses. They finally found two that would say the same thing. But yet they are labeled here in the scripture as false witnesses. Now every court I've ever been in, and I've sat in some juries down through the years, and I have been in the courthouse a few times when trials were going on. I've watched them on TV, Perry Mason and all those kind of things. And there's one thing that they all do before a witness can testify, they have to swear that what they're about to say is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, in our modern day courts, they've removed the phrase, so help me God. And in some courts, they don't even use the Bible to place their hands on it anymore because here in America, we're trying to push God out. We don't want God mentioned especially not in the court of law. But here, these men, these two, they are labeled false witnesses. I don't know if they were sworn in or not. Maybe they said, do you swear to tell a lie, the whole lie, nothing but a lie? That's what they were doing. But they bring these two False witnesses. Now notice what they said. 
in verse 61, and said, this fellow said, first of all, that's hearsay evidence. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. They're making Jesus to appear to say that he's going to destroy the temple and that he's going to build it back in three days. But is that what Jesus said? Would you turn with me to John chapter 2, verses 18 through 21? And let's see what the Scripture says. John chapter 2, verse 18 then answered the Jews and said unto him, unto Jesus, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus had just cleansed the temple there. He had drove out the money changers. He had overthrew their tables and all those kind of things. And they said, What sign are you going to show us, seeing how you deal with these things? how you do these things. Now notice the words of Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. He didn't say, I will destroy this temple. He says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now keep reading. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building. In other words, it took Herod forty-six years to build that temple. Wilt thou rear it up in three days? But the Bible says in verse 21, But he spake of the temple of his body. Jesus was prophesying his death when he said, Destroy this temple. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit lives and dwells in God's people. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was referring to His body. He was telling them that they was going to kill Him. And three days later, He would rise from the dead. Had nothing to do with that physical temple that was standing there. But this is the accusation that they bring against Him over in Matthew. I'm hunting my place here. I'm sorry. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. You see how they twisted his words? The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? Jesus just sat there silently. Jesus is at peace with this. Jesus had suffered agony up there in the Garden of Gethsemane to come to the place where he could bring his physical body into subjection. He had already come to that place to realize that it was time for him to die, to die for my sins and to die for your sins. He realized that he had to face this cross. 
He realized that he had to go through all of this persecution in order to fulfill the Scriptures. And he just sits there silence. The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against you? Man, you just going to sit there and take this? The high priest knew they were lying. That's why it called them false witnesses. The high priest knew that Jesus' words were being twisted and turned. But that didn't matter. He was wanting some kind of response out of Jesus. But Jesus held his peace. Now notice what the high priest does. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. That word adjure, that means he put him under oath. It's a legal term. The high priest said, now you're under oath. It don't say anything about put those other fellows under oath. Let them tell what they want to tell. But Jesus, you're going to speak the truth. I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Here's the issue, you see. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. That's what you just said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus, you tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? Jesus said, you've said it. You said it. But notice what he continues to say. Jesus said, nevertheless, I say to you hereafter. And we're still looking for this to happen. Hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. The Bible tells us that there's a day coming out there that every eye shall behold Him. Everyone will see Him coming in the clouds of heaven. Like I said, we're still looking for that. That's still out there in the future. That's when Jesus Christ is coming back to this world. When he said that, he was talking about his future and our future. But he's also talking about their future. You see, everyone in hell, everyone in heaven, everyone who's ever lived on this earth, the Bible teaches us 
that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, Jesus was claiming to be the Christ. Jesus was saying in no uncertain terms, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Son of God. And one day you're going to lift up your eyes and you're going to see me coming. And one day your tongue is going to confess that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. (coughs) Excuse me. Notice what the high priest does in verse 65. The high priest rent his clothes. He tore his garments. And he says, He has spoken blasphemy. To them, anyone who claimed to be the Son of God. To anyone who claimed to be the Messiah. That was considered blasphemy. He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? No need to bring any more witnesses in. He's just convicted himself. He's just told us who he claims to be. Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. He deserves the death penalty. He is guilty of death. I want you to pick up on verse 67. I want you to see the hatred in the hearts of these people. I want you to see the physical abuse that they heap upon Jesus. This would have never been allowed in any other court. But it was allowed here. The most religious people of the day was allowing stuff that should have never been allowed. Verse 67, Then did they spit in His face. The Son of God, standing there in their presence. People began to walk up to Him, clear their throat, get a mouthful of saliva, and then spit in his face. One after another, they'd walk up there and do that. What a disgrace. I don't know if you've ever had anyone to spit in your face. I've had it to happen a few times accidentally where somebody would be close enough that their spittle would hit my face. My first reaction is to grab my handkerchief and wipe my face. 
But I would imagine that Jesus probably was still bound. And another one may come by and spit in his face. And it said, and buffeted him. One preacher that I heard kind of mispronounced that. He said they buffeted him. <laughs> it wasn't a buffet. <laughs> to buffet means you shut up your fist and you pound on somebody's body. I can imagine some of their biggest, strongest men walked up there and doubled up their fist and began to pound on the body of Jesus. He was being bruised. He was being beaten. Others smote him with the palms of their hands. They slapped his face. Can you imagine slapping the face of the Son of God? But Jesus took it. Jesus had the power. He, he told Peter just a few hours before, don't you know that I could call 12 legions of angels, that they would come and take me away? Jesus still had that power. Jesus was still able to call thousands and thousands of angels. But He chose not to do that. He chose to take my punishment and your punishment. I believe it was Dennis telling me the other night about a, a lady who had told her son to go out and get a, a switch because he had done something wrong and she was going to whip him with it and when he brings the switch in she hands it back to him and said no you take it and you whip me I'll take your whipping this is what Jesus was doing Jesus was taking my whipping and yours I deserve to be spit on. I've sinned against God. I deserve to be beaten and to be slapped, to be scorned. I deserve it because I'm a sinner. But here was Jesus, the Son of God. Another place it tells us that they plucked his beard out. Jesus had a beard. Harold, how'd you like for somebody to grab your beard and yank it out? Wouldn't feel good, would it? And they said, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? You're a prophet. You say you're the Christ. Tell us who it is that's smiting you. Who is it that's hitting you? Who is it that is bringing this punishment upon you? 
but Jesus doesn't say a word. You see, he was taking their punishment too. He was not only willing to die to save me and to save you. He was willing to die those who were beating on him right then. Oh, what love. What compassion. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His love to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' songs. God loves you, my friend. God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die in your place and in my place. He's calling to hearts today, saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's calling to people today who are saved and gone away from Him to come back to Him. He's calling through His Holy Spirit. He's calling through His Word today. It's easy for us to get angry at those people and how they treated Jesus. They treated Him worse than they would treat a dog. But yet He did it all because He loved us. Do you love Him? Is He your Lord and Savior? He wants to be. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in a moment of prayer. And as the Holy Spirit of God tugs upon your heart today, we just ask that you obey Him. This altar is open for anyone who needs to come and pray today. If you're lost and you want to come and be saved, just come on. We'll try our best to help you, point you to Jesus. If you're saved and you've not followed in baptism and church membership, we invite you to come today. Whatever the Lord's speaking to your heart about. Maybe you're saved, but you've drifted far, far away from God. And He's calling to you today. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. Father, I just want to thank you today. Thank you that you've placed the truth in your word. Your word teaches us that the truth will set us free. Father, I pray today for anyone who's here under the sound of our voice or even out under the sound of our voice and somewhere in this world where people are listening. But Lord, when you've spoken to their heart, help them to be obedient to you. To not go farther away, but to come running to you. Thank you, Lord, because you love us. In Jesus' name we pray.